You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. I'm an actor and filmmaker here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. Hope you guys are doing well, having a wonderful day, morning, afternoon, night, wherever you may be in the universe, in the quantum field. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but I hope you're doing great and staying safe and sane. It has been quite a month. I think we're at the very end of Asian Heritage Month um, here in the States, wherever you might be listening from. I hope you are sending love out to whoever belongs to the Asian diaspora as we are contributing members of humanity and are just taking a moment to see, to be seen, and to see each other and to honor ourselves. So it's been quite a month, lots to celebrate, lots to wonder about, lots to like, put out in the universe in terms of like where we want to go from here. And yeah, it's been crazy on my end. I I mean, clearly I'm recording this before the end of the month and I'm, mm, <laughs> there's a lot still to come. So it's going to be great. I, I, I like complain preemptively, but at the end, I'm always like really proud and um, inspired in a, in a new and different way and reinforced of like, reminder of like where I come from and what I want to create in this world. So those are good things. Those are very, very good things. This week's guest is somebody that I got to meet uh, at the Asian Pacific Filmmakers Experience, which is something that I have been part of and co-producing starting at Sundance Film Festival. I first participated in 2016. I became a co-producer of it in 2018. And since then, you know, been producing this this, uh, filmmakers experience, which is essentially, you know, a time for panels and networking. And it's a gathering really just to elevate independent filmmakers and all the teams that they and we work with and getting to meet one another and to talk with um, one another with allies, with people who want to work with us and just elevate the narratives within our communities because it's it's needed. If someone else ain't going to do it, we got to do it, right? So at this filmmaker's experience, you know, we've evolved, um, been at Sundance, been at South by Southwest, Tribeca, Toronto Film Festival, a couple things at Comic-Con. It's been quite a ride. I've been part of it for so many years at this point. It's It's pretty wild. And in the process of that, have met some of the most amazing creatives, uh, like really, I think on the planet. And it's been the privilege of my life to be able to meet these people, talk to them face to face, get to hear their stories. One such person that I got connected to is Viet Pham. And Viet is a creative of a different kind because he is an amazing chef. If you guys are into the food world, um, I mean, Viet's like kind of a legend. He has such a resume. Um, he's been recognized a bunch of times by the James Beard Foundation. He defeated Bobby Flay more than once. I think that's like a special accolade. Like he's the only chef who's ever done that to defeat Bobby Flay more than once. Um, he's, you know, run Michelin star restaurants. He He's done the fine dining thing. He's done so many Food Network competitions. It's absolutely insane um, and very impressive. But all of this, like just getting to know him as a person, when I got to talk to him, I actually didn't know any of these things. I just got to experience his most recent endeavor, which is the spicy chicken sandwich restaurant called Pretty Bird in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, 
And uh, it's actually introduced, the food itself was introduced to me by Kenji, uh, my ex-partner, who is a huge fan, and we got to eat it. And then, you know, fast forward, got to meet Viet in person and invited to collaborate with us for the Sundance Film Festival event, which is like our biggest one every year. And he actually got to feed us this year. And we like our whole, we had hundreds of people just get to try Pretty Bird. This fried chicken, okay, I... I don't get to talk about food that much on the show, but I love to eat. I don't know whether I like eat to live or live to eat. I love to cook. I'm a good cook. I'm not Viet level at all, but I like and I'm good at cooking. Um, so I also can be very like picky and pick, nitpicky about what I think is good. And I've tried a lot of different spicy chicken, like fried chicken sandwich, Nashville style fried chicken sandwiches. This one's so good. So um, just, I'm just giving you my, you know, insight. It's up there. It's it's really, really good. And I was just so impressed by the food, how simple, but how great it was. And then when I got to meet Viet, again, not only knowing that he made this bomb fried chicken sandwich, not knowing like the full extent of his resume, getting to know Viet was like, it's been such a pleasure because he is such a wonderful down to earth, like heartwarming person who has been through a lot in his life and becoming his friend and learning more about his life story. Um, it only, to me, makes that whole journey of all these awards and accolades and um, notoriety as a chef, it just, it, it gives it so much more dimension because it's like all this other stuff that adds to the facets of who we are as people. And like you're extremely talented and driven and you overcome all these different obstacles to like continue to press on and share your creative art and your delight and your joy through food to everybody else is pretty amazing. So that's why I wanted him to be on the show. Um, Viet's been through a number of health issues and just, yeah, he's gone through a lot in his life and I wanted to be able to sit down with him and have him share that story with all of us. So I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. It really is about, you know, living life to its fullest, seizing the day and appreciating every moment because we really just don't know when when some a fork in the road is going to happen, if something crazy is going to happen, if, you know, the time that we feel is guaranteed really isn't. And so I just hope that you guys enjoy this conversation, enjoy getting to know Viet. And eventually, because we're going to keep our fingers crossed that Pretty Bird can go outside of Utah. That's where it is. But like, if you ever end up, first of all, like come hang out at Sundance Film Festival with me is what I'm saying. And you can like definitely get it because it's also in Park City. Um but besides, like, definitely check out his restaurant and food. But just get to know a person who has been through a lot and has a lot of positivity that he wants to share with the world. So enjoy this episode on Seizing the Day, Living Life to the Fullest with Viet Pham. Enjoy. Yeah. Came in 88 with a dream of so bright-eyed. They knew right away, sick of swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting their teeth on the move. Nobody's Welcome to First of All, Viet. Thanks for having me. All the way from Utah. Yep. Salt Lake City. Yeah, how's, how's got to do the, you know, the boring question, but how's the weather over there? Are, is it dumping? Because it's been raining like crazy over here. You know, so it... It snowed yesterday on the first day of spring, um, okay. and it's been pretty gloomy. You know, this winter um, has been a very long winter for us, and I think it's been a long winter for you guys as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've had more snow in the last than in the last thirteen years, if not more. So there's record snow, and uh, this week I believe there is a couple more storm systems that are coming in, 
And um, there are talks of um, kind of extreme flooding that might happen, you know, later this spring here. It's it's pretty crazy. It's I mean, like the amount of flood warnings we're getting in California is insane just because we've been yeah. like in a perpetual drought for how many yeah. years. And so it's wild to have. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like it's a weird feeling because grateful for the rain and don't want to be a baby about something that like the earth needs and that we have needed for a long time to like fill reservoirs again. Cause those were like, I remember driving up to NorCal, which you and I both are from NorCal, but like going up, passing all those reservoirs, seeing how empty they were. It like instilled fear in me. It made me depressed. I was like, Oh my God, we're like, we're destroying our earth to know that that's getting filled up, like genuinely made me happy. But then on conversely, (laughs) it's like flood warnings and like people are like their properties are getting damaged. We can't travel anywhere in terms of like necessary travel. Um, it's crazy. It's so crazy. No, there's, there's definitely a shift. Um, and when you say, you know, when you say like reservoirs or you know, um, diminishing. It's 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 kind of the same situation we have here. So I don't know if you're aware, but uh, one of the biggest environmental um, factors that are going that is going to affect everybody in this state and surrounding mm-hmm. states as a whole is uh, the diminishing of the Great Salt Lake. Um, it's really really scary. So mm-hmm. right now, I don't know if you know, but Salt Lake City, um, the valley, we're basically in a bowl. We're we're in the valley. So um, with that valley, during uh, cold months when there's high pressure, mm-hmm. um, we get a lot of uh, the pollution that just kind of like hovers over. We call it the inversion. Right. It's basically it. high pressure. It keeps everything down. So there's times where we have some of the best, or sorry, some of the worst air, not just in the country, but in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they've compared our air to uh, air in um, like Beijing you know, certain parts of China where it's really bad. Yeah. Um, our air quality is worse than LA most of the time, you know? And then, so with that, and then with the, um, with the kind of like receding Great Salt Lake, what happens is once the Great Salt Lake dries up, it starts kicking up dust and heavy metals that are out there. Yeah. And that's going to add to, you know, um, our inversion. And potentially it's going to be really, really detrimental for everybody that lives here and the surrounding states. It's actually really scary. And the lake is literally going down by the day. You could actually see the difference day to day, which is crazy, you know. Um, but, yeah, we, we've had a lot of rain and the snowpack is record high. And hopefully that's going to help. But I don't think it's going to be um, it's going to help us long term because everybody's moving. Here. Everybody loves Utah. You know, there's a lot of development. So because of development, as you know, there's also a lot of diverging of um streams and rivers uh, yeah. to help with all that and because of that there's less and less water that's actually going into going into our uh, our lakes but anyways i didn't want to start off this podcast no, with this you is... like all gloom and stuff what i wanted to really say is holy shit listening to your voice and some of these um these commercials your voice is like <laughs> badass it's like a badass sexy voice thank you, you. Know? oh my god thank you <laughs> it doesn't have they're, they're, like you know like when you talk to asian people they they have like a very distinctive kind of like an asian tone you okay. know um especially with a lot of my korean friends like you mm-hmm. can tell that they are korean and then you know um i i think it's really funny amongst like my asian friends they all they all like they they kind of transition from like their day-to-day uh tone to like their their like 
American tone when they're talking to other yeah, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I Asian. totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, so, thank you. It's an awesome job. Was it, was it like a state farm and it was like some other commercial or? Oh, I did. Two uh, commercials. There was two uh, commercials that you had posted that I saw. I'm like, wow. I was closing my eyes and listening. I'm like, this doesn't sound like Minji, but damn, that sounds good. (laughs) Thank you. It's like a different, it's my performance voice, which is weird because I'm trying to be myself. It's, it's a weird, like cognitive It's off and on, right? It's like, I guess being on camera, you turn it on and off. Yeah. Well, even with the podcast, like people have made fun, my, my friends have made fun of me because this is like, I've done over 180 episodes at this point. And it depends on kind of like my familiarity, both with myself a, and with like, with the guest, like I will get really, really like professional, you know, like I've, I've honed that voice being like when I was running collaboration and stuff like that, like it's the leadership voice and like the really professional. And then my friend was saying like, you can totally tell when you're talking with a homie because it's just such a different tone and yeah. a different cadence and like yeah. hearing my own show back I was like oh my god you really can tell and yeah. it was kind of yeah it was interesting but also kind of embarrassing because I was like <laughs> I sound like such a fake ass but I'm really just trying to be polite and, you know it's yeah, just a yeah. different version yeah yeah I have friends that are news anchors and like you know like their news anchor <laughs> voice and the reporter voice is very different from their conversational voice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh I and s- I love the fact that you're wearing a Chicago sweatshirt because that's oh, where I'm you. originally from yeah. Oh, are you? I didn't know that. See, yeah, I knew that so- this conversation was going to be great. I get to like, <laughs> hear your whole background. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. It's my Michael Jordan yeah. sweatshirt. It's a it's- big 23 down here. Nice. The first, uh, yeah, the first eight years of my life, uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Like, how far out of Chicago? Because you know, you say like, oh, San Francisco, but there's like a whole hour or two outside of that that you're like, <laughs> yeah, that's where yeah. I So live. I'm about 45 minutes uh, southwest of Chicago. Very cool. I grew cool. up in a, a little town. Uh, I shouldn't say little town, but uh, in a city called Carroll Street. Okay. When yeah. did you when did you leave Chicago? Because so, I knew you as via who lives in Salt Lake City, but it came through San Jose because I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I moved. Uh, so my parents moved this from. Chicago to the Bay Area, 1987. Oh, wow. So I was eight years old. Okay. A lot older than you are, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm not sure a how old you are, older. but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, you're older than I am? No, 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 no. You're a few years oh, older than oh, okay. I am. okay. I'm just saying, I was no born way. by the time you came to San Jose, but I was okay. young. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, my parents moved this up to California in uh, 87. Did I say 87 or 88? 89? 87? One of those. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I've lived in California up until uh, 2008. So I'm coming up to 15 years in Salt Lake City. That is wild. I um, I don't know. It's funny because like you're Vietnamese American. And to me, like I didn't know this because like obviously I'm a Bay Area girl. Like I was born out with the cows like up in Northern California out like past Sacramento. But where were you born uh, near UC Davis? So, like, which area? Like, uh, Woodland. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna bleep that out because that's like, you know, the town I was born. Um, <laughs> but I was born out with the cows, and my dad was going to school there, and he was graduating, and like, so that's why we were like in student housing at the time and everything. And yeah. then, like, shortly that he just graduated, so then right after I was born, we moved to to like San Jose. Actually, no, sorry, we went to Daly City first. We hung out Daily with all the Filipinos. We were hung out with all, all the Filipinos. Filipinos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is like my upbringing. I was like, I lived with all the Filipinos, and then I lived in San Jose with all the Vietnamese and Chinese people. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then you went to Santa Clara. That's where all the Korean people are up and down El Camino Real. <laughs> right. That's where I went to church and we ate, you know, food every once in a while, yeah. obviously in Santa Clara. Yeah. And yeah. no shade, but tons of shade. Like I like living in L.A., so spoiled with good Korean food, like the Bay Area Korean food. I'm calling y'all out and I say this with all the love, but honesty, like step it up because Korean food in Bay Area is like, it doesn't compare. That's what doesn't. I've heard. You know, Koreatown. Yeah. Um, and you know food. Yeah, and I have yet to really explore that part of uh, L.A. You got to yeah. come eat. Like, come eat. Like, I'm going to take you up on your offer uh, back in Sundance. You said that you're going you're gonna to show me around K-Town. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, anytime. Some good like, food. Because you're yeah. doing, like, I think we need to get up to speed on, like, how this life of yours has evolved. Because, like, obviously geography is one thing, but just your life as a chef. I... Okay, I wish this life for my little brother, sidebar. Like, he was so obsessed with Food Network and all this stuff growing up. So I, and he's quite a bit younger than me. So, you know, I was very influential, if I must say, in his formative years. And I was highly trying to, like, manipulate him into becoming a chef. And I was like, oh, it'd be so great to have a chef in the family. Ooh, you love food. And we cook together since he was, like, a little kid. So for the longest time, I was, like, so excited because... He was going to be a chef and then he went to the military um, and does computer stuff. So like, yeah, that dream got killed. So now I get to know you and get to learn about <laughs> your journey because you've had such a crazy like path in food that I'm still I'm like I'm using this conversation to like learn about because here's the overall theme too. just to like backtrack a little bit and why I'm OK that we started talking about like a little bit of gloom and doom. And it's just funny because talking with you, I'm already like feeling better. When I, before we logged on to have this conversation, I was in the shittiest mood. I was in such a, I don't know why. Like it's, there's nothing really truly to complain about, but I feel I'm a very sensitive soul. I'm a cancer, you know, I, I'm, I'm sensitive. Okay. And I just feel like there's this craziness that's in the air. I don't know if you feel it too, but I do care a lot about things like the environment politics, cultural, like different factors that may not be like impacting my day-to-day experiences. No one's like screaming racist stuff at me or like, you know what I mean? But like, we've been living in this crazy ass time for the last few years. And I already, before that was sensitive to like, what's going on in the world? How can I do something to contribute to something greater? X, Y, Z, right? But I feel myself in this anxious state that I'm constantly working every day to like get myself out of and why I was excited to talk to you because you have this very like not just like fluffy inspiring journey like you've you've lived through some stuff that I'm like excited to get to know about and really talk about like how to seize the day and like how to like you you just dealt with such stuff like I don't want to like spoil everything right now but that's why I was really, I was like, oh, maybe this is like divine timing of like, I'm talking to you today when I'm feeling in this really pessimistic, not cynical, but like, just like, it just feels like shit's going crazy right now. Yeah. And and it feels, I just like saw on TikTok, like stuff's going down in France too, where like politics is nuts, you know, like I've, I've been keeping an eye on that too. Anyway, all to say like, it's been feeling a little nuts and we're all doing our best to like stay positive and to stay hopeful about a lot of things and to feel like, okay, I can get up and I can do this. And today I'm feeling particularly like this, which is a rarity and I'm talking to you. So this is all the preface. Like we're, I think we're going to, I, I myself and everyone listening in is in for like 
I don't know, an enlightening, inspiring journey to get to know you and to like hear yeah, about sure. your insights. Yeah. Everything that you just talked about, <laughs> I feel deeply as well. Yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a highly sensitive individual. Mm-hmm. And um in a lot of ways I'm an empath, you know. So um things outside of my day-to-day life that I can control and that I can't control weigh on me heavily. Yeah. Everything from the news, everything from the people that I meet, the hands that I shake, you know, um, it weighs on me heavily. And oftentimes it brings me down, you know, and I feel like there is no hope in the world, mm. you know? And I, I think that's, it's kind of like a blessing and a curse with people that are, are empaths. So you say you're a cancer. I'm, I'm, I'm i I'm an Aquarius mm. and I think all the things that you're feeling isn't because the fact that Mercury is in retrograde or possibly not in retrograde. I don't know, but a lot of people always seem to blame it on that. But, uh, you know, I am, I am very sensitive and um, yeah, those are the things that I struggle with every day. And, you know, I block certain things out of my life. Like I don't, I try not to read um, political news. Mm -hmm. I try not to read so much news where I feel like I'm, in it so much where it just really has a negative effect on me. Yeah. I read just enough to know. So if people were to ask me, you know, like, oh yeah, like I've, I've read a little bit about that, but not so much where it's going to, to, to have an adverse effect on me. Smart. You know? Very smart. But um, yeah. So like, my, you know, like my life is, I'm sure just like your life, it's, it's, it's been a very interesting journey. And um, you know, I've, I've, I've been through a lot and I've, I wasn't always a chef. So, yeah. you know, um, just to, just to catch you up. So my parents, Vietnamese people from Vietnam, my dad fought in the Southern army. Uh, my parents were boat people. So they fled Vietnam, uh, 1978. My mom mm-hmm. was, um, six months pregnant with me. Wow. I was born on a, um, I was born on an Island that was a refugee camp on the Eastern coast of Malaysia called Pulau Bidong. So during that time, um, I want to say probably about a, a million, like almost 2 million people had escaped Vietnam by boat. And then on that island from the year 75 up until 1984, it housed, I think, 1.4 million people. And um, the amount of Whoa. people that tried getting to that island, um, many, many people did not make it. Though, mm-hmm. As you know, like during that time, a lot of pirates out there, um, when people... When people fled Vietnam, they weren't bringing currency. It's it was all exchange for, you know, uh, precious metals, jewelry, and all that stuff that they can exchange later on. So pirates mm-hmm. knew that. Um, but yeah, um, so my parents were, you know, uh, the lucky ones. Um, they made it to to the island, and then uh, about eight months later, uh, my parents were sponsored to the United States. So wow. uh, the first eight years of my life. So I came to the United States when I was about eight months old, and um, grew up in Illinois. And, um, there, you know, we were, uh, there was four families, my, my dad's brothers and sisters, and my mom's brothers were all in this little townhouse. Um, and there was like, probably like 12 of us, I, I think in this little townhouse. So to me as a kid growing up, it was just like, it was always really exciting because there's my cousins were there and there's always people in and out, yeah. you know, um, I never really realized, um, you know, we were in that situation because, you know, my parents can afford getting their own place. And this is kind of like, you know, the start for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it was just like always like interesting and fun. And I remember um, through the years, um, the first couple of years of my life, I remember like cousins coming in from Vietnam and staying there and all these people. So 
it was kind of like the halfway house for a lot of um, our family members. Stacked yeah. on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then after like a year or so, you know, my parents were able to save up and ended up getting a little apartment and we moved and then ultimately um, ended up moving to, uh, to California. So where do you want me to start? Do you want me to tell you like my whole story or like what? We can hop around. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm living vicariously. I think there's like one of the things that I, I really do like, just want to highlight that I, I feel like I'm constantly learning and I feel like really lucky because being involved in collaboration, which is, you know, this Asian American movement to me, gave me a privilege to like understand and to, to know more Asian American stories because I think it's something that I feel really privileged that I get to know and experience all the time. But like, that's why I wanted to share it sure. part on the podcast, because for me, like I'm part of the Korean American wave of the seventies and eighties where like my parents and people came cause they wanted to, you know, and like that still to this day as a grown ass woman, I'm still recognizing the stark difference of like how that, that origin story is so starkly different, right? Like, yeah. My parents, it's coming somewhere or going somewhere voluntarily versus like fleeing somewhere and having like really nothing and like having that be your origin. Like those are so, these are like very American stories here. These are very global universal stories that you don't get to hear directly from the source that much, not at least in the mainstream, like guys in here in like Hollywood, which is my industry. So I just want to highlight that because I feel so lucky to keep getting to know these things from like the beginning. Sure. Yeah. You know, it it just so happened that um, last week I had a little short documentary that was released. Um, So there's a local radio station out here called KUER, which is um, a local uh, NPR station and um, in conjunction with uh, PBS Utah. So there's uh, we started working on this little short I want to say like four years ago, right before the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of just started off, you know, with me as a chef and like how I've transitioned from fine dining into, you know, the fast casual comfort food. And we were trying to figure out um, how this show was going to start, how it was going to finish and what we're going to try to convey. And um, the pandemic happened. We ended up kind kind of putting a pause on it. And then started back again, and then we started talking about um, Asian ingredients. And if I and, and if I use any Asian ingredients, or do I cook Asian food? Up until then, you know, honestly, as a Vietnamese American, the closest thing that I've ever cooked that was Vietnamese was probably some pho. You know, um, and keep in mind, I'm, 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 it's not like I'm an untrained chef. You know, mm-hmm. it'd be far more impressive if there was an untrained chef, a home cook who attempts to make fun. I was, I was a very much, um, educated, you know, cook at the time. And I, and like, I know what goes into making a broth. So up until then, like the only thing that I've made was, was pho, you know, and one of the first Asian ingredients that I started using in this past decade was fish sauce. Mm. So, you know, we started going, um, talking about my youth, uh, growing up in Illinois. So, and, you know, if you can imagine at that time, um, we lived in a community that's predominantly white. And during this time, there's a wave of Vietnamese immigrants coming in uh, from, you know, coming in from Vietnam and settling all across the United States and mm-hmm. other countries as well. You know, one of my earliest um, food memories, you know, um, it wasn't it wasn't like spending time in the kitchen with like my grandmother or my mom. One of my earliest food memories was actually fried chicken. Um, so when we, when we settled into this little house, 
my mom's younger brother, he ended up getting a job at this fried chicken place called Brown's Chicken, which is behind the house that we lived in. And um, the reason why this memory comes like this is so strong is because my family would eagerly wait for my uncle to come home from work at night because when he'd come home, he'd bring home the leftovers. Mm. And that leftovers meant um, a late dinner for us mm -hmm. and lunch for, you know, for whoever is going to eat it the next day or, you know, like if they're going to take it to work or whatever. Yeah. So like, I, I, I just remember eating that fried chicken and like how amazing it was. And then I remember my mom trying to recreate it by going to the Asian store and buying um, tempura powder, <laughs> tempura uh, mixture and making it. And I just remember eating it. It just wasn't good. So, you know, um, growing up, all my parents cooked was Asian food. And, you know, as a kid who went to school um, with other kids, uh, predominantly uh, white kids, you know, I was picked on a lot. You know, um, I was picked on because of my name. So my brother's name is Nam. He's a year and a half younger than I am, than I, than I was, or than I, than I am. So together, Vietnam, we were picked on a lot. Mm -hmm. So we would never, ever bring our lunch to school because that meant for us to be picked on. And I'm sure like you've heard the stories before, like growing up Asian, you do not bring food, your, like your, your ethnic food to, to class. Cause you'll get made fun of, mm -hmm. you know, um, if I was given a choice, um, between a really good bowl of pho or a hamburger, I would immediately choose the hamburger. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, my parents would get paid weekly. And, um, when I was a kid, when they got paid, which was a Friday, it meant that Friday, we go to the grocery store and then we get to go to McDonald's, mm -hmm. you know, um, for me as a young kid watching TV, watching the commercials, watching McDonald's commercials, all these things. Um, every time that I ate McDonald's on that Friday was when I felt most American, you know, um, yeah. I yeah. felt like I was like, you know, all the other kids, you know, um, but I wasn't, I was very different, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, I, I, I just, I just remember, um, just hating my name so much and hating the fact that I was Asian, wishing that I was white. And that every time that I ate a hamburger, I felt more white, you know, mm. and that gave me, um, a lot of peace it just made me feel good because I was like everybody else. Um, and I swore to myself that, you know, when I, when I become 18, I was going to change my name. Um, wow. so at that time, you know, um, my parents actually could have applied for citizenship. And if they had applied for citizenship, I would have automatically became a citizen, but they didn't because they didn't have the resources. So I, even though I've lived here um, almost all my life, uh, I didn't become a citizen until I was uh, until I was 18 years old. So mm -hmm. up until when I was 18, when we would travel back to Vietnam for my uh, with my parents, I would have to wake up, you know, a couple months before our intended travel date, and I would have to wait in line um, at the INS building. So um, immigration naturalization uh, services. So I would have to wait in line early, early in the morning, like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, because they would open up at five um, just to be able to apply and get a reentry permit. Otherwise mm. um, I wouldn't be able to travel. So uh, during that time, um, I think it was, it was Bill Clinton when he was in office, he had enacted um, citizenship day. So what that meant was that all around the country, you can go to these, um, to these places where they had set up 
where they have all the resources. You would just go there. You would do your interviews there. You would sign the applications. They would do fingerprinting, background checks, basically one-stop shop all in one house, mm-hmm. whereas it would cost you you know, thousands of dollars and lots and lots of, of time where you were able to just get this done on one day. So we ended up doing that. And then um, ultimately, I ended up getting my interview a couple months later, becoming a U.S. citizen when I was 18. And that was the time when they asked you if you want to change your name because they give you the card to fill out and everything. You know, um, I thought long and hard. Ooh. And I ended up not changing my name. And it was probably the best thing that, you know, that I, one of the best choices that I ever made in my life, you know, because now thinking back, you know, aside from your native tongue, yeah, um, your name is your sense of identity and yeah. it tells a story, you know. Um, so my name being Viet, my brother's name being Nam. When my parents fled Vietnam, my dad was 30. My mom was 26, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're at that age, I mean, even like when I think of right now, it's like if someone were to tell me you have to leave the United States, otherwise you die. Yeah. I don't know what I would think. I, I don't know what I would do. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do. And I'm exactly. like in my 40s. Yeah. You know, so I can't imagine my parents at that time not being as educated as I am right now. All they knew is that they had to survive. Yeah. And so when my parents fled Vietnam, my grandparents told them that, you know, when you have kids, name them Vietnam so you never forget your country because they weren't sure if they were ever able to come back. Yeah. So that's why my name is Vietnam. And then, you know, growing up, one of the things that I hated most was going to Vietnamese school. My parents sent us to Vietnamese school every Saturday and Sunday, you mm. know, um, oh, yeah. and we two hated days. it. Yeah, two <gasps> days. We hated oh. it. You know, and now I'm so grateful for it because I can speak it fluently. I could kind of read, you yeah, know, um, yeah. and my parents kept on telling me growing up, just like, you know, like, you're going to thank us later. You know, it's really, really important. You know, and my dad is always like, you know, as white as you think you are in the eyes of other people, you're just, you're, you're an Asian kid. Mm, you know, I am. Mm. And my background, my name has a story. And that's what I'm proud of. That is amazing. Oh, my God. See? <laughs> I knew. I was like, I'm here to have my mind blown and my heart restored. This is, I, I really feel <laughs> I don't know on about the blowing your mind, but like these are no, shared but like, because I, I got to know you, right? you know, and now I get to know like your story. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, like I, I think a lot of people can resonate with my story. I'm sure you've, you've, um, you've experienced some type of racism picking on bullying growing up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I think even kids of, of kids that are white, black, all of them have experienced it. And at the same right. time, kids are just, kids are just cruel, no filter. Yeah. You know? Um, That's the worst. So uh, back to my story, what was I saying? Um, so the, the short documentary, uh, the name of the short documentary was called the fish sauce moment. And the reason why I brought it up is after we finished filming this, I realized that, um, my whole life as a chef going from fine dining to fried chicken. And one of the key ingredients in my fried chicken and other things is fish sauce. And that fish sauce, you know, was kind of like the catalyst that really brought me back to my identity and who I am. So it's like kind of gone full circle. So we called it the fish sauce moment. Um, It was only like a seven minute uh, short, but it was, I didn't even realize this talking to it, but you know, um, the person that interviewed me, his name is Doug Fabrizio. He's he's an absolute amazing. He's he's a genius, and he like as a producer, he's able to really bring these out in um, his interviewees. 
so I, I thank him for that. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so that's your secret sauce. That's well, part of your, that's, yeah, you don't that's, reveal that's everything, but that is why your yeah. chicken is so freaking good. It's like, <laughs> I rave at, at, in the intro, but like, I love eating your freaking sandwiches. And I'm like, <laughs> I go to Utah every year for Sundance, you know, and like, it's, it's so good. And, and honestly, I knowing the, where that comes from, because that's such an ingredient of love. Like it's a love for your culture, a love for yourself, a love for your, and it, I don't know, it just makes food that much better. And food is, you know, at least in our respective cultures, it is, and many, many cultures, most cultures, I say it is such the ultimate language of love is to feed and nourish people. It's that's so, I'm so curious. Would you, what, would you tell us like, what was your name going to be? If you didn't go with it, what was your, you know, my name was going to be Jason, which is, you know, like I have friends that are Jason's. And so the reason why is because growing up, I had a really close friend. His name was Jason. I'm like, Oh, like I, I like this name. And when I, when I think of the name Jason, I always associate it to my friend then, which Mm. is why I like that name so much. It wasn't going to be anything like exotic or any like cool names. No, but it's always so unique. It was just like very, just like kind of like, basic and i don't mean to offend any jasons out there but to me to me it was just like you know like it, it was it was basic but it had a um it had a story behind it and it was meaningful yeah. to me that's yeah. amazing i'm actually having yeah. kind of a re- resurgence of a, a name reckoning with my own identity because did you know my name is christine no i didn't i just <laughs> i've always known you as minji <laughs> exactly there's i have multiple people in my different facets of my life that don't know me as something else like I grew up Christine and Minji. Minji was like church and family. Christine was school. And I had that yeah. like dual identity. And it's coming up now because I'm planning my high school reunion with our friends. And like, I haven't talked to like high school friends in years and years and years, like decades, literally. And they're, I have to reintroduce myself because they all knew me, not even as like they, a lot of the not close friends knew me as Christine. That was how I was known to my classmates. But the friends, like they, they all call me Chang. Like that was just my name because I was the only Chang in my grade in yeah. when I was in high school in Pleasanton, which yeah. is very different than San Jose. I was one of many, many, many Changs. Um, so there's <laughs> like that switch in identity. We're constantly like shuffling and like figuring things out of like, where do we stand in this spectrum of Americanness? Because Christine, even though like... I don't know. Minji always felt because that's family, right? Like that was home life. And that's what my people closest to me call me Minji. Like Christine, it felt more proper. And like, it's just such, it's a different, um, just a different set of hoops that we jump through and a different like identity shift that we're always juggling. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. And I get why names kind of change. And like, I, like, for example, like in your culture or, you know, like a very common Korean last name is Park. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it originally Park? It's Pac, right? Guys, yeah. And then you changed the park because you wanted, I guess the Korean people wanted to assimilate, you know, to, they made it simple so that people could pronounce it or because it sounded more American. That's what I, I mm. there's certainly like things with Because I've heard different stories about that last name. Yeah. And I heard that it just like, you know, they changed the park to make it sound more American. And I know that a lot of different cultures changed their last name to make it a lot more American. Like mm-hmm. a lot of Eastern Europeans when they immigrated here. They changed their names to make it more American. Exactly. And American didn't even have like a standard then, right? So it's like, what were we assimilating to? Everything I feel like was being 
created in in the time that all of that stuff was happening. Like, I don't know yeah. what was happening in the immigration desk, like when they're yeah. creating these names and then saying, oh, if you because there's versions of it, like there is PAC. There are people that have PAK, BAK. Like I've seen different versions, but a lot, yeah. most of them are parks. And then yeah. like my name is like my last name is Chang. Actually, it's not Chang, um, yeah. which sounds more Chinese. So like yeah. I don't know what that happened because if it's phonetically correct, it would be with a J. It'd be Chang. Yeah, the J. Yeah. So I don't. Who knows? Yeah, it's yeah. just easier so on the on the white person's <laughs> ear. I don't know. <laughs> but what? It, yeah. yeah. So how did and like I love that story too about how like I don't know food like again how you you're now you're bridging the two in this current version of your chef universe um, yeah. with the chicken. But like, can you tell me about the fine dining? Because how did sure. you, what were, it's always a thing with Asian Americans are always like, what were you supposed to be? <laughs> like what was the expected um, <laughs> prescribed right. job that you, you were going to yeah. potentially follow? So, you know, so when I, when I graduated high school, I went to um, San Jose state. Mm-hmm. Um, my, original major was computer science. Nice. And, um, Jason studying computer science. (laughs) And and I I don't know why I chose, I I mean, actually I I know why my counselor goes, look, if if you want to make money, you got to go in engineering. Computer science is the way to go living in the Bay area. Yeah. And I totally get it. But what my counselor failed to understand was that I was absolutely horrible at math. Mm. <laughs> Contrary to belief, I was horrible at math. Mm. You know, so being an engineer was was not in my books. So I I changed I changed my major to like finance. Here we are back into like a math field. But like with finance, I was able to understand it a little bit more. You know, um, so you know, like it was like my third year of college, and I was just. I was I was not motivated and I wasn't feeling um like what I thought a college student would feel would be like, you know, like the sense of accomplishment, you know, a year left to graduate. I just felt like school at that time wasn't for me and maybe I was burnt out. So, you know, I I ended up enrolling myself into uh culinary school. So I went to the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco, it was in the nice. Tenderloin district. Um it's known as the CCA. CCA. Um, I enrolled myself in 2001, and the um, this the 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 course was I believe it was like 14 or 16 months long, so it's like a year and a half at that time. So you know, like you would go through the whole gamut of like, you know, like just you learn French cuisine, you learn all these different cuisines, you learn all the basics, knife skills, and all that stuff, and you start moving up to advanced classes. And when I had signed up for a culinary school, um, I knew that I liked to cook. So growing up, um, I was the kid who spent Saturdays, instead of watching cartoons, I'd watch like public broadcast station, PBS cooking shows. I watched like Yan Can Cook. Yes. Uh, I watched Julia Child. Those are the things that really excited me, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, although I love cartoons, but I love watching uh, cooking shows. And... Um, Although I did watch my parents cook, you know, and my parents also had a catering business at the time. Oh, wow. Um, but for them, you know, like, they, so they owned a bunch of catering trucks and they were doing catering trucks. They were catering to like all the dot-com businesses at that time. They were nice. using their profession as an example for us to go to school because my parents would work. They would leave the house at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning and not get home until five or six. You know, they worked really, really hard seven yeah. days a week. Yeah. And, um, 
they were using that as an example for us to study harder, you know, get a, uh, you know, like a white collar job so that we didn't have to struggle like they did, mm-hmm. you know, but somewhere along the lines, um, you know, cooking was just something that I really, really loved. And people ask me all the time. It's like, so like, what's that one, what's that time in your life that like inspired you to cook? And, and as I mentioned earlier, I wish I had like this romantic story of, um, of spending time with my abuelita in the kitchen, <laughs> making tortillas, you know, or making yeah. like making, um, you know, whatever. Um, I didn't have that memory. Um, my memory, my, er, my like my my food memories um, was really based on necessity. So like when my parents first moved to the United States, um, my dad worked the graveyard. My mom worked during the day. So it meant that during the daytime, my dad was asleep. So it was just myself and my brother to take care of ourselves. And as early as I want to say when I was like maybe four years old, you know, my parents taught us how to boil water, how to make instant ramen. Wow. And how to stay home by ourselves and watch out for each other, you know? So, you know, as a kid, you know, you're like you're boiling water and, and like you make your bowl of ramen soup and you eat it. You know, I got bored of it, you know? So we started to do a dry version of it. And then we started to add hot dogs and all these other things into it. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that's where like my, 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 my creativity kind of like started, you know? Yeah. And Don't um, a different seasoning so, or something. Yeah. So from then on, you know, like whenever we had friends over, you know, or we come home drunk from a night of boozing, you know, you're (laughs) rummaging through your cupboards looking for stuff. I was always the one that was doing that. I was always the one that was barbecuing. I just loved cooking and I loved, I loved, I didn't really know the science behind it. I just love how something as simple as, you know, like a a piece of vegetable can have so many different turnouts, Mm. you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, you can create so many dishes with it. And um, culinary school is just something that I'm like, oh, maybe I can, you know, maybe I, 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 can, I can learn some stuff and then be a better cook. Um, and unbeknownst to me, I hated culinary school. I, I, I just, again, I wasn't feeling motivated. I just, I, and, and I think it was because at that time, you know, like they pretty much just invited everybody to attend culinary school because at the end of the day, it's for profit. It's not like, a, yeah. it's, it's not like, you know, an accredited school. It was just a for-profit school and, you know, culinary school was very expensive. Yeah. And anybody who was able to, you know, fill out, um, fill out a, uh, fill out some type of, um, what do they call it? Um, form to get money from the government loans or whatever, you know, yeah. like you were able to get in. So we yeah. got people from all walks of life and I'm not, you know, saying that, you know, some people are better and some people are worse, but it's just, it wasn't like a very conducive environment for me to learn, I think. And then also, I don't think a lot of my classmates really liked me a lot because, because I didn't like school. I just, I was, I wasn't there a lot. I fell asleep a lot. Oh. And um, I was, I was the guy who was never picked first or at least in the middle more towards the end of like being in a group, you know? Gotcha. So, um, I actually, um, I got held back. I got held back and I had to take additional courses in order to graduate. And I don't think there's a lot of people that get held back in culinary school, you know? It just seems like um, school's not your thing. Like, let's say you're like, it's just like thing. that structured order, like you have to come take yeah. tests. Like, it really isn't for everybody. It, it isn't. It, it wasn't for me. But I knew that I liked cooking and I knew that that was something that I was passionate about very early on. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, that in itself is a gift because there's a lot of people that are my age now, if not older, 
that are still trying to figure out what they're passionate about. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, long story short, you know, part of the curriculum, you have to do an internship. And I originally had applied for this internship with um, this Japanese gentleman named Tetsuya Wakuda. Um, He had a restaurant called Tetsuya's in, um, in Australia, Sydney. And I put together this extensive, you know, you know, this, I wrote an essay, all these things, and I sent it to him and I never heard back. And like, I was so devastated because I was like, so determined that I was going to get this internship. It was like, it was like the light at the end of the tunnel mm. with the school. Cause I was like, I, I hated the school, but I knew what type of cuisine and who I wanted to work for. Um, while everybody else was like looking at doing their internship, like at Whole Foods, at Costco and the bakery. And oh, wow. you know, it's like, you got to aim for the highest, you know? So mm. I was trying to get an internship with this guy and I ended up not getting it. So I was like, really kind of just like, I was just like discouraged, you know? And you know, um, it came down to the wire where like the last week you have to submit, you're going to do your internship. Otherwise you don't graduate. So I spoke to my counselor and she's like, Hey, there's this, um, there's this restaurant down the street from us. It's called the fifth floor. And, um, there's a brand new chef there. His name is Laurent Gras. He's from, he's from France, but most recently he came from New York. He came from Peacock Alley at the Waldorf Astoria. Um, he's an up and coming chef. He just got food and wine magazines, best new chef. And, you should go check it out because he's, he's bringing in um, interns. So I went there and I interviewed with him. And um, one of the first words that came out of his mouth is that culinary school means nothing, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, that's exactly how I feel. You're like, like culinary school is like nothing. I haven't learned anything there. <laughs> he goes, everything that you're going to learn is going to be from here, not your school. I'm like, all right, okay, sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'm on board, mm. you know? So um, internship was uh, for three months. And um, it was one of the toughest three months of my life. So commuting from San Jose to San Francisco, I started at 7 in the morning, which meant I had to leave around 5.30, oh 5.45 because Ugh. of traffic. Ugh. So every day commuting there, and I was working six days a week, so Monday through Saturday. And um, my shift would be over at 4 o'clock, and I would drive home. So in the beginning as an intern, you know, like all interns, by the way, during that time, um, you're looking at 2001, 2002. Um, all the bad things that you've heard about kitchens, all the bad things you've heard about chefs, all the sexual harassment, all the stuff that went on is all true. You know, um, it was a really tough space to be in. I was bullied. I was kicked. Um, I was treated like crap. I cried numerous times, you know, um, and I'm not saying that that was okay, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it really helped build me as a chef. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't do any of those things to my employees. Um, FYI, you know, um, I'm not saying that it was like the best method of, of, of training people, but you know, um, for some reason through all of that, at the end of the day, there was nothing that I wanted more mm-hmm. than to be a really good chef. Mm-hmm. And if it meant getting picked on, getting, getting like, you know, just getting treated very, very poorly. Um, if I was to slowly progress each day, it meant that I was winning, you know? And at the end of the day, all I wanted to gain respect from was from chef. And every single day, he's just like so hard on me. I would, I would get to work, park, a, you know, I park about a mile away and walk to work and I would like pump myself up every single day. Today's a day that I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm, 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 I'm going to focus on this certain aspect of, of my prep and all this stuff. And, you know, wow. I come into work and guess what? I get my ass kicked over and over and over again, you know? And then I remember vividly one day 
um, I was doing something and I, and I don't remember chef turned around and looked at me. He goes, so, uh, you're starting to use your brain as insulting as that was, that was actually a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it was a, it was a, it was a vivid day where I can um, remember that I was like really, really proud of myself. I don't remember what I was doing, but I just remember that I was really proud of myself mm-hmm. and I'm like, yes. And then day after day, uh, from then on, um, slowly, like I got better. And then, um, and then chef asked me if I would be willing to stay for service, which was a huge deal mm-hmm. because, you know, the prep cooks, they come in from seven and they leave around four o'clock. And if you wanted to stay for service, you would have to stay until at least 10 o'clock. Yeah. And not everybody got to see service. So he asked if I wanted to see service and I was excited. I didn't care if I have to stay another five hours or six hours. I was going to stay, Yeah. you know, and then from then on, it led me, um, uh, having a role at that restaurant. and. Um, it changed my life, you know, um, all that hard work and perseverance and just putting aside my ego and just trying to fight the fight and knowing that like, this is something that I've wanted more than anything in my life. And up until then, I just felt like I was kind of like hovering along, you know, I wasn't Mm -hmm. doing anything great, but I also wasn't a bad person. You know, I was just floating from one job to the next job. Existing. It was just a very, yeah, very mediocre. And then all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I was actually fighting for something. Yeah. So, um, you know, fast forward, uh, chef ends up leaving to Chicago, opening up a restaurant called L2O. And, um, I end up, um, not following him. I ended up, you know, getting burnt because like as a 21 year old working six days a week, you know, at the end of the day, when you're 21 years old, you want to hang out and party with your friends. You want to have a normal life and hang out on Fridays and Saturdays. And I miss out on a lot of that. So, I ended up leaving the restaurants and then going back into banking, which was what I was doing part-time while I was going to college. So, um, yeah, so I was in banking. I was doing mortgage loans. And then um, when the market crashed, I ended up transitioning, um, working for a software company called VMware in Palo Alto. <laughs> a little, 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 and, kind of little. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like, you know, and, you know, like these little jumps that I was doing, it felt good at the time because I was make like I was making a lot of money at that time in my life, especially when I was in the mortgage business. Rates were low. Mm-hmm. And um and then from there I transitioned to a software company and I was making really good money too. But I what I learned is that, you know, like living in the Bay Area, everybody's part of that rat race. You know, like you, you get up and you're you grind at work, you're supposed to oh, make yeah. X amount of money, yeah. drive this type of car and have this type of house. And I thought that all of that equated to the happiness. Yeah. But here I am Knowing what I loved most, knowing what I was passionate about, I was actually putting it aside so that I could focus on making more money. And every single day that passed by mm-hmm. was like a heartbreaking day for me. You know, um, I've I've never felt more sad up until that point in my life than each day not cooking and, and doing something else. You know, so um, this opportunity came up in 2008, early 2008. Um, there was this kid from Utah. He was out in the Bay Area and a girl that I was dating at the time was managing all the interns. And he got to experience a lot of different restaurant, rest, uh, different restaurants and lounges in the Bay Area. So he had this idea of opening up something similar to that and cater to BYU students in uh, Provo. So he ended up learning about my past and we started talking and he asked me if I would, you know, uh, put together a menu and ultimately, um, me moving to Utah, helping him open this restaurant. So fast forward again, 
This was April 30th, 2008. Um, I was 29 years old. Mm. And for the first time in my life, I decided that I was going to move, get out of the Bay Area, but more importantly, move out of my parents' house because I lived at home until I was 29. So you were making good money because you weren't even (laughs) paying rent. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I I still somehow managed to rack up credit card debt. Oh, we all managed. Would pay off. My parents would pay off my credit card, you know? Um, I was a, I was a horrible kid <laughs> by doing that to my parents. You know, all this time they were busting their asses trying to set an example for us, and we were just kind of taking advantage of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, I just always knew that I was destined for more. And I, mm-hmm. like, I, I think a lot of us kind of have, like, that compass, you know? Like, you just know. Um, and I just knew that if I was going to continue staying in the Bay Area, that nothing would come of me, mm-hmm. um, or at least nothing significant. And um, two, I had to find a way to back into the, to the restaurant industry. So this was an opportunity for me as a young chef to be able to open up my own restaurant. So I ended up moving out. It was uh, April 30th of 2008. I moved out and helped this guy open up the restaurant. And um, immediately, this really awesome guy that I met back in the Bay Area ended up to be not so awesome. Um, so, you know, without getting into too much detail, at the end of the day, Um, a restaurant, you know, a restaurant should focus on service, experience, food, whereas for him, it was purely based on um, the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're, you don't get in the restaurant to make an immediate buck, you know? Mm -hmm. So because of that, we kept on bumping heads and um, ultimately he fired me. Um, Two days before he fired me, you know, I was actually in Salt Lake City looking around for some spaces just for fun because every opportunity that I got to get away from that space that I was in, the restaurant, to go um, up to Salt Lake City, which is 45 minutes north of us, um, I got to kind of like experience normalcy, mm-hmm. you know, living mm-hmm. in Provo, uh, which is where BYU is, it was... um it was a very different culture without getting into the It's a very different culture. I can, I can attest of, to. Of Utah. It's a very, very different uh, culture. Whatever you're um, thinking of Salt Lake City, <laughs> times that by like 50. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so, so like, as you know, like it's, it's the Mormon culture is very prominent here. This is where, um, this is where the Mormons settled, you know, a long time ago. And, and Provo is, is very predominantly, um, I think the percentage is very high as far as Mormon. And for a Bay Area kid, Ending up in Provo, not really knowing much about it. It was quite the culture shock. Yeah, I imagine. Um, but, you know, like I, I tried to escape that space, not because of the culture shock, more so because I needed to get away from the restaurant yeah. and kind of like reimagine myself if I was to have my own restaurant and how things would be different. And lo and behold, I was on Craigslist on a Friday night and I saw this house that was converted into a restaurant. And so I decided um, Saturday to drive up there, check it out. So I looked at it. It was like this amazing space. It reminded me of the restaurants in the Bay Area that I loved so much, such as uh, like the French Laundry, mm-hmm. uh, a restaurant called Manresa in Los Gatos. You know, and I'm like, this is exactly what I want. And during this time, you know, like I would create this vision board of, of how I would imagine my service, how I imagine the food and how things would be different. Um, so slowly, like, you know, like the universe kind of like put all of this kind of like into play for me. So. Um, Saturday, I look at the place, I come back to work. Sunday, I get called in and then I get fired, you know. Um, and, what timing? You know, up, in, yeah, up until that moment, I had no desire to do anything, you know, other than just to, just to get away as far as much as I can. So I end up getting fired. 
And then I go, I go home and I call my parents and I, and I told them what happened. And um, keep in mind, this is eight months in and I wasn't ready to, uh, to really go back home. So, you know, um, I got my parents' blessing. And when I say blessing, uh, what I meant by is uh, I, got their, I got a loan from them <laughs> to, uh, to open this restaurant. So that week, drove up to uh, Salt Lake City, signed the lease, and then um, six and a half months later, opened up a restaurant called Forage. So Forage was um, one of Utah's first set menu restaurants. We would serve between 14 to 17 courses. And um, it involved me doing a lot of foraging along the mountain front. Uh, so there's a mountain range that surrounds the valley called the Wasatch Mountain Range. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved the outdoors. The outdoors have has always been my place of refuge. Mm -hmm. um, one of my earliest memories is, you know, like fishing. Uh, my parents signed me up for uh, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, did camping. I always loved the outdoors. And um, I ended up picking up a couple books, uh, enrolling myself into a couple foraging classes. And during this time, there's a restaurant called Noma in Copenhagen. Um, and they started to create this, this, this trend of foraging. And it was like huge. Everybody was foraging. And when we named the restaurant Forage, I had no intention of foraging. It was just, you know, named the Forage because uh, one of my friends mentioned, like, yeah, you know, like, you like to pick things and eat things. You should name it Forage. I'm like, okay. You know, and then <laughs> we kind of slowly grew into that name. Yeah. And um, a year later, um, ended up getting uh, Food & Wine Magazine's Best New Chef. So, you know, when I worked at the fifth floor, you know, uh, I remember uh, reading the magazine. I was actually in the bathroom <laughs> and um, Chef's <laughs> Magazine was there. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the magazine with him on the front cover. And I tell myself, you know, one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to be a part of this class. Yeah. And then fast forward 2011, um, get a phone call announcing that I was, um, that I was Food and Wine Magazine's Bestie Chef. And, this is a huge point in my life because, you know, as a young chef, it's one of the most coveted awards that you can get in the yeah, country. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, you know, it, um, you know, it, it, all of the sacrifices and all the things that I had done up to that point, all the things that, you know, people told me that this was not going to work, this concept's not going to work. And um, being as stubborn as I was, you know, I, I, I just, I just pushed on and um, through all of those sacrifices, you know, I ended up getting best new chef. So it was, it was, um, it was very much worth it. Amazing. Um, yeah. So from then on, it opened up a lot of opportunities for other things like uh, food television, competition cooking. Um, I had my own pilot with uh, national geographic um, called fusion forager yeah. and um, got numerous awards and accolades, you know, and then, uh, and then, you know, here I am now, you know, I, I got tired of fine dining. I got tired of all the pretentiousness that goes with it, mm. you know? Um, and I realized early on that like, this is not something that was going to be sustainable long-term because with fine dining, you know, you're at a cap, you know, like if dinner's three hours long, how many tables and chairs are you going to be able to turn? Not mm -hmm. very much, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, as I grew and then evolved as a chef, I started to realize how pretentious fine dining could be. Um, there's nothing to me that's more pretentious, and I'm so guilty of doing this um, throughout my career as a chef, is to put food down on somebody's, you know, in front of somebody and tell them why they should eat this and then build this narrative around it. Um, you know, like all of, the, all of that stuff is like, I mean, 
narratives are okay, but a lot of it is just to justify how, I don't want to say incompetent a chef could be, but it's just, it's just noise. It's a mm. lot of noise. Mm. You know, um, these are distractions. Um, at the end of the day, what matters most is good food. You know, yeah. you know, like you there's, there's, it? you know, yeah. It, and like the palate doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in an age where a lot of, a lot of things are built around hype. Yeah. And you know, like all of us are guilty of falling for hype, but at the end of the day, your palate is not going to lie. Yeah. You're going to go out of your way to go check something out. If it's good, you'll come back. If it's yeah. not good, you're not going to come back. Exactly. You know? So, you know, I, I just knew that, like, I wanted to get out of fine dining, but I wanted to do something that was, like, universally familiar, you know? So when I was filming the show called uh, Food Network Star in 2013, I made it halfway through. And the show, if you win it, you end up getting your own show. So, for example, Guy Fieri, he was the winner of season two. And like, you can see how big he is now. And a lot of other uh, really great chefs were on there that ended up getting their own show. Mm-hmm. But I only made it halfway through. So um, back then, when you make it either halfway or all the way to the end, you're kept there, either sequestered in your hotel mm-hmm. or you get transferred to another hotel until the show is done and then you go home. So because I only made it halfway through, they transferred me to another hotel. I had like literally like another week and a half of freedom. So I ended up, traveling around LA. I went to um, Orange County. I went to a restaurant called uh, The Playground. And it was um, it was a friend of a friend's restaurant. And when we went there, um, he introduced me to uh, something called Memphis Hot Chicken. And this is in 2013. Hot Chicken wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a thing in Nashville. It was a thing in Memphis. But Hot Chicken was not a thing in LA, whereas now you see hot chicken almost on every corner. Everywhere. Every everywhere. It's around the block you know, for me. Yeah, they're everywhere. So I remember trying this chicken. And, you know, as a young chef up until that point, when you go out to eat, it's an opportunity to get perspective. You know, it's 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 a it's an opportunity for inspiration, you know. Um, and you know, fried chicken to me, whether it was good or bad, it was always good. I don't care. I, I just <laughs> love fried chicken. There was a space for it. Yeah. But it was also something that I never um, really got perspective or inspiration from. But when I took a bite of this chicken, it like literally knocked my socks off. And I told myself, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up a fried chicken restaurant. So mm. based on memory from then on, I started to develop a recipe that was based on that experience, the flavor profiles and all that stuff. And it took me about six and a half years. And even until now, I'm still working on it. But yeah, so... Um, February of 2008 ended up opening um, Pretty Bird. Mm. And what makes Pretty Bird special and unique from all other hot chicken restaurants is that we're not just, we're not a Nashville hot chicken restaurant. I consider ourselves a Nashville style Mm. because we're still paying homage to Nashville hot chicken. When you eat um, Nashville hot chicken, like, like legit Nashville hot chicken, it's, yeah. it's varying levels of heat. You know, um, I cannot eat anything hotter than a medium. Not even, I mean, I, I, a medium I struggle with. So, you know, I, I visited now Nashville a couple forever. years ago. Because Asians have a different type of threshold, but like, so you can never go above a medium? I'm just curious because you're like, yeah, so you're a hot chicken I'm guy in my head. Nashville. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. Nashville hot chicken, a medium is like, Death? like a hot times 10. <laughs> You know, that's Nashville hot chicken. It's just varying levels of heat and it's like super, super spicy. Yeah. To me, 
like I'm not trying to play play it down or saying like my chicken is better. I think it's great, you know. Mm-hmm. But for me, coming from a fine fine dining background, I wanted to add something more, mm-hmm. you know. Because at the end of the day, anybody can make hot chicken. You know, you you can go to the grocery store, or go online, and buy some of the hottest exotic peppers that are available. Go home, put it on your food, and then you have hot food, hot chicken, hot fish, or whatever it is that you're making. Yeah. You know, if anybody can do that, what's the point? I wanted to apply a lot of um, fine dining principles to it. Um, but at the end of the day, give it to somebody without all of the BS, quote unquote, the narrative, the pretentiousness. Give something to somebody that, you know, like you have something in your hand that that looks familiar. You eat it and it's amazing. And that's all that matters, mm-hmm. right? That's all that matters. So um, so that's the difference with, with, with Pretty Bird. Um, you know, like we, there, there's... I don't want to say like I'm like the Colonel where there's like 11 spices and herbs and spices. <laughs> there, there, there is a lot of spices. Yeah. Um, but, at the, but at the end of the day, there's 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 a lot of thought that's put into it. There's a lot of technique, but I don't need to explain all that to you. You know, yeah. um, there's 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 a, there's a harmony of flavors and uh, balances of textures and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what makes uh, Pretty Bird special. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I can that's... attest as a customer, I <laughs> I have paid for many for, for many pretty birds at this point and <laughs> so good. And I'm now learning like a key component of that is like the fish sauce. Yeah. I mean, every yeah. recipe, like I appreciate and that's what I actually like because when you when you especially when I travel as much as I do, I get to differentiate because I like to find the thing that's like signature to that place. Mind you, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, highly anticipating your expansion outside of Utah. I'm sure that it's in the pipeline. But, like, until yeah. then, I love that, like, I look forward to that whenever I go to Utah. I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's time to get a pretty yeah, good sandwich. Yeah, you got to make sure you let me know the next time you're out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, so that's kind of like my, you know, my life as a chef. You know, I... I have to apologize. There's there's been so much that's been going on today. No, it's <laughs> and, all good. And, like, and, like, I, and like, I feel somewhat... Um, just kind of like out of it, but, um, you, and me you know, both. <laughs> yeah. So from fine dining to fried chicken, um, you know, it's, it, I, I've been able to achieve a lot and it's been really great. And, um, you know, I, I owe it to my, my parents. I owe it to my wife, Alexis, who you've met, um, at the Love end of her. the day, people, you know, people always ask me like, what is pretty bird? And like, you know, I got so accustomed to telling people what pretty bird is, the concept and all that when all along pretty bird has always been my wife, Alexis. And, um, I wouldn't have been able to be here with you today if it wasn't for her, you know, right now she's literally running all four restaurants. She does everything from HR. She does operations. She's training day to day. She's managing and, um, she's running our social media. She's really good it's, at it's, it. It's it's it's, it's remarkable what, it is what she's remarkable. able to do, so that I can do what I love to do, or like you know, be able to sit here with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you know, all in between, there's been a lot of different experiences and stuff that really shape, you know, me the way that I am today. And um, yeah. Yeah, like. I do, we do have to take a quick break and, and then sure. I want to come back um, to to ask you if you're down to open up a little bit more about those other experiences, because yep. I think it's yeah. relevant to like what you've already For shared, sure. which is so much about why I love to get to know people's stories and everybody has a story is that 
every story has its twists and turns. And like what we can see on the outside and get to know from like looking at your website yeah. or like looking at your a, an article written about you is all these like amazing accolades, which is the byproduct of this like to me, when I, I've gotten to know you and talk to you and eat your food and all that is this like diehard passion and love for food. The like the the outside stuff that we're like society has been using for so long to like measure people and to say, oh, yeah, this person's worth like knowing or trying out their food or whatever, like not to not to throw any shade or like reduce the flex of like all these awards and things like you've accumulated over the years. But like, there's so much more to that. Do you know what I mean? Those to me, yeah, like when I've gotten sure. to know you, it is just, a, it's a byproduct of like the food. It's about the passion. It's about feeding people and giving them a good meal. That's really yeah. what's been driving you to like deal with all this insanity that like I've gotten to hear in this yeah. conversation, which like one can assume, but you don't know. And like for you to confirm it, I mean, that's, a, and as your friend, I'm like, I want to like protect you, like go like in a time machine and be like, don't you talk to my friend like that? You asshole. Like, don't make him cry. Like I would go, I'd be there like as a yeah. guard dog. Yeah. Um, but like you endured all that because you had a certain passion and a certain knowing and a certain determination and a ability. Maybe it's also like beneficial being young too. Like, and that's something that we can like pull on as tired adults, right? Like, cause yeah. Day to day life continues to be that difficult in different ways. And maybe you're not like getting screamed at by, you know, some French chef who's trying to like take over San Francisco, but life (laughs) can wear you down like that regardless in other ways too. So it's just really impressive. Like that's the part that I really want to highlight and and elevate because you are definitely an impressive person. You're an impressive chef. But I think the the character of like what got you through that is like such a like resounding thing to me that I was like... Yeah, we can go there for that. We, yeah. we, we can definitely touch on all that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we'll take a really quick break and then we'll be back to get the the final gems from Viet. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hey, first of all, fam, if you're a fan of the show and would like to support, consider backing us on Patreon. You can join our Discord community and get different perks by going to patreon.com slash firstofallpodcast. If you'd like to support in other ways, you can go check out firstofallpod.com or subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform. Or just follow me on Instagram, because I love hearing from you. Thank you all so much for the support, and enjoy the show. Hey, 
Welcome back from the break. Are you refreshed? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you actually did take a break because sometimes like I record and we're just like clap and then come back. We're like, oh, it's four seconds. Yeah, I actually had to take a potty break. So yeah. thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. And I got to meet your cat, Theo. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I've just been, I don't know. I, I, I want to say really grateful because I feel like the universe delivered. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Like, I needed something yeah. to kind of like get me out of my yeah, bunk. And here I am. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like the universe really does work in amazing ways. Yeah. And I think that there's science all around us. Yes. And you know, as much as I pushed my way, like pushed myself away from the obvious like path mm-hmm. that like was meant for me, the universe always has this way of bringing you back, you know? And I think a lot of times you just have to kind of like pay attention. And I don't want to get into all spiritual and all that. I do, but sure. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, like for me, like I've always been very intuitive, you know, and I pay attention to a lot of things and I'm not the most logical person. All of, all of the decisions, the big decisions that I've made up until this point in my life Mm -hmm. has always been intuitive decisions that I've made, like, like, like my gut feeling, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So just being at a highly in tune individual, I, you know, like I, there's times where I don't, I don't follow the obvious path, mm-hmm. even though I know that's the right path. The universe always has a way of bringing you back. Yeah. Sometimes all you got to do is just pay attention. Yeah, yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. I think my one of my biggest lessons that I'm like in the middle of accepting and like embracing is the fact that there's been many times where I don't follow my intuition. And I've paid, I've paid dearly for that. Um, and that's just part of life's lessons. If that's still part of like the universe yeah. guiding me back, it's like that kicked your ass, didn't it? You know, like, yeah. and, yeah. and it goes back, I backtrack. I'm like, I knew that that was, you know, I knew there was a knowing or an inkling that I had of like, I didn't know if that was the right yeah. thing. And those are usually the things that are driven by fear or like anxiety or just like people policing is a big th- part of my life that I'm really doing my best to shed. And it comes out to those like major decisions. Like, what do you want to do with your life and your time? What do you feel like you're like best prepped to do? Because unlike you, I really loved school. And I was like, I, I got a lot of satisfaction out of that, but that would have taken me down a really different path if I had just relied on that and like gone down the thing that I was supposed to do. Um, yeah. there's a lot of mixed but, signals and they, they can be really confusing sometimes. Are you more happier now? <laughs> I think, so. I think I'm more fulfilled. That's like where yeah. it is. I, I try to get down into the, to the nitty gritty of like, what does I get very existential, you know, like what is, what is happiness and is happiness what I'm, what I'm seeking or is it peace and fulfillment? Those are different. Like being fulfilled means you're going to have to eat a lot of shit in a different way, but it will feel worth it. That's the difference, I think, to me, where I've done a lot of things in my life where I've I've done the grind, like I've hustled really hard and then felt like, why did I do that? You know? Yeah. And it, and like, then it also leads picture. to happiness too, right? Exactly. Exactly. It kind of like bigger picture. They all kind of led to something. But pay, like you said, paying attention along the way, you get yeah. more and more familiar with yourself and then like feeling do I need to suffer right now or do I need is this something I just need to like grit my teeth and like determine my way through or is it something like universe or God or myself my intuition is telling me it's just not right for you like let it go um which is why it's really nice to talk to you about that and to know that you were able to do those decisions and like be happy with where it led you led you and I feel that way too yeah. You know, we live in a society where um, 
we're taught more to be logical. Yeah. To make logical decisions and not to listen so much to your gut feeling, mm-hmm. you know, because at the end of the day, logic is above all. I, I know, you know, that's what a lot of people have told me growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think each and every one of us are born with a sixth sense. And that sixth sense to me is that inner voice. Mm. The more that you don't listen to that voice, the more it becomes muted, you know? Uh, and it's tough to really kind of like bring that voice back, mm. you know, because it's, 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 it's a particular sense that we've all kind of um, either have, 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 have used as our strength or have just have lost, yeah. you know? So yeah. I think it's really important that we rely on that um, in addition to, you know, our logic. <laughs> I, I, I want to, the, the way I do visualizations and whatnot is that my ideal situation, and I am an idealist, I'm a dreamer, what have you, an empath. Like, I want my mind and my heart to be on the same team. I don't want, I, there are going to be times where they're, they're at conflict with each other, where my mind's like, save all your money and don't spend any of it. Don't, you know, da, 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 da. But my heart's like, I've worked really hard. Like, why can't I enjoy the fruits of that labor and like, in, in, and enjoy myself. Like there's, there's times where they're really at odds, but there's times where like, I've worked really hard to like have them be on the same team. I don't know how to like articulate the best I can, but I'd say like that conflict has subsided a bit. And I think that because I'm learning how to pay attention to my intuition and be they, therefore taking bigger risks, what, what I would have interpreted as a risk earlier as a younger person doesn't feel so risky right now because I have more faith in myself. Yeah. I have more like data, if anything. I'm like, no, I follow my intuition. I follow my gut feeling and look where it got you last time. It kind of like it builds on itself. Yeah. So I, I do yeah. think like I'm getting to a place where like head and heart meet. But I'm curious to you because you've been such a like staunch. I follow my gut even when it's like insane. Were there times where you're like, what the hell did I just do? Or did you feel like <laughs> I like you no, truly I, regretted I mean- it? To this day, you know, like, so I've always, just like you, have have tried to kind of, like, rule my life with my head and my heart equal Mm -hmm. side by side. Yeah. You know, um, when it comes to managing people and Mm -hmm. running a business, it's very, very, very hard. You can't. Yeah. Um, And I'm not saying that employees and people are bad, but it's just, like, when you deal with so many different personalities, different people, Mm. you know, like, you, you know, like, the way that I've approached with um, employees and all that, I would kind of like change myself so that I'm at their level. And in a lot of ways, it's been helpful, but also it's been detrimental to me as a boss, as a manager, because they take your, I don't know, like your, your weakness um, and they turn it around. I don't know, but like, so like, for example, my wife, she's black or white, she's black and white. There is like no in between. It's Mm -hmm. like, this is the way it is. And that's how it is. And she has far more success than me when I try to manage people because I end up getting too buddy, buddy with people. And then when things have to, you know, like when, when like shit hits the fan and like, you know, like you, you, you have to say how it is. It always goes back and bites me in the ass. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's really, really tough. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, they're definitely so, people who are way more suited for that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. My, like my wife. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That that smart management is like finding like yeah. who's the best we suited actually, and like, like delegate. We're like yin and yang, you know, we balance each other out. Yeah. I love so, that. You know, like, so going back to this business and all that, um, this past year has been like 
one of the craziest years um, of my life, mentally, physically, and health-wise. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you you saw um, my my post that I posted a, a couple months ago. So yeah, you know, being a chef, being on TV, having all these awards and all that stuff, it seems like all very ritzy and like you know, like you know, it's 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 from people's perspective, it's it's all really really cool. Um, what I'm here to say is that it's it it wasn't handed to me. You know, I had to work incredibly hard. And um, for those of you that are in the restaurant industry that are listening, can attest that like you know, there are days where I wouldn't wish this business upon my worst enemy because it's really really hard, especially the human component of it. You know, um, running the restaurant, coming up with dishes, recipe, that is the easiest part of the business. It's the human capital, the people that is really, really hard. And uh, most of our growth has happened um, in the last two and a half years. So when you think about the pandemic, when there are a lot of restaurants were closing, people without jobs, Mm -hmm. we were in a very fortunate position where we were able to grow. You know, if you count the remodel of um, our first store, which is our downtown location, um, that's four restaurant openings in the last almost three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that has happened in the pandemic. So with that said, the growth has been great. Um, hiring people has not been so great. We pride ourselves in a company where we pay our employees extremely well. We provide um, medical benefits, paid time off, maternity leave tuition reimbursement and we're an independent mom and pop shop we're not we're not we're not this huge corporation that brings in billions of dollars in revenue mm-hmm. i chose to do this because i've been in the restaurant industry i've worked in a lot of different restaurants and i know what it's like it's not conducive to a, a healthy lifestyle so all of these things were very important to me um, at the end of the day it's just good business practice because you know like when people are happy you're happy and happiness to me is success, mm. you know? So with that said, you know, running a restaurant is probably some of the most stressful things that you can do. And, you know, when I first moved to Utah, um, April of 2008, it was my first time opening a restaurant. And I was 28, 29, 29 years old at the time. Um, I started to develop uh, this rash on my body. Um, let me know if it's TMI. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, (laughs) yeah, so I developed this rash on my body and then I go see my dermatologist and they're like, you know, you have eczema and there might be a chance that you have psoriasis, you know, so for, for 14 years of my life, I have been told that I have psoriasis. I would be prescribed, um, I'd be uh, prescribed, uh, what steroids, steroid Mm -hmm. creams and all that stuff for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I noticed most about my rashes were the times when I was most stressed out, I would get the most inflammation. Mm-hmm. So uh, fast forward last year, literally around this time, plus or take maybe five days, I woke up one morning and I had this little lump on my left uh, thigh, upper left thigh, mm. size of a dime. Mm. And... Um, I just thought it was kind of weird. It didn't hurt. It was just like a tiny little lump. You know, I waited a couple of days and um, I decided to go see my dermatologist. And I go see my dermatologist and they take a look at it. And they're like, you know, you have a cyst. 
So we're going to prescribe you some uh, antibiotics. You know, after a week of being on the antibiotics, the lump started to bother me a little bit. So I call him mm-hmm. in. I call up my doctor. I'm like, look, the lump is bothering me now. And it's been five days since I've been on the antibiotics and it hasn't really gone down. So they had me come in right away. So I ended up going in and um, they look at the lump and they're like, hey, so I think what they plan on doing is that they're going to cut into it and just kind of drain it, mm-hmm. you know, instead of uh, letting the antibiotics take effect. So they cut into it, nothing comes out. And then I'm sitting there, you know, and then the doctor leaves, brings in another doctor. They leave, bring in another doctor. And you could just tell everybody was just kind of like having, they, they all had this like concern, on this concerned look, yeah, you know. And um, the last doctor that came in, she's like, you know what, this is really not what we're hoping for. But because we're in it, we're going to have to biopsy to see if it's anything else. So after several weeks, the biopsy came back and um, it was, I think it was probably the end of March, early April. um, I got diagnosed with ALCL, which is anaphylactic large T-cell lymphoma. So it's a a type of blood cancer. Mm -hmm. And here I am. You know, I, I feel like at the height of my life and my career, you know, I, um, I had just finished doing a television show. Um, I just opened up my third location and I have another location opening up in the summer. Yeah. And um, I was on my way to becoming a pilot. Um, and all of a sudden, my whole world kind of just collapsed. You know, um, being told that you have cancer whether you believe it or not, you know, it's, 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 it's so crazy. And it's so surreal to me because although I didn't believe it being told that you had cancer, you know, um, again, I'm going to go back to like that innate voice, you know, that gut feeling, mm-hmm. that gut feeling told me that I was going to be okay. And I knew that I was going to be okay. Wow. But being told that you have cancer, you force yourself to go through the motions. And when I say go through the motions, you go through a phase of like, depression you go through a phase of like this can't be me like like up you know like up until now i don't think there's anybody in my family that has ever been diagnosed with cancer wow you know not that we know of you know so um now that i got this diagnosis um there's all of these tests lined up so i had to do a, a pet scan scan my whole body i had to do extensive blood work to make sure that because this cancer is so close to my lymph nodes um we had to make sure that it hasn't spread anywhere. So after doing all of these tests over a period of several weeks, um, it all came back clear. And when I got this diagnosis, it wasn't until a month later until I actually got to see my oncologist. Um, and uh, I ended up getting admitted to the Huntsman uh, Cancer Institute up here uh, by the University of Utah, which is like a very renowned um, cancer institute. So I go in there, they're looking at it, and um, they're scheduling a, uh, basically like they, they're going to have to take it out. Um, so around that time, I just so happened to have my annual checkup for, um, for my rashes. So I come in and they're looking at my files and notice that I just got diagnosed with cancer, ALCL. And they're, it gives them a different perspective on how they're looking at my rashes. Now they're looking at my rashes and they're like, so the rashes are only on your buttocks and behind your thighs. That doesn't behave like psoriasis or eczema. These are very, you know, like very like different places where 
these rashes would occur. So these these so the rashes that I have were basically occurring where the sun doesn't shine except for my groin. Mm-hmm. So they're like, let's let's do a biopsy on that just to make sure. So they end up doing a biopsy, and then another couple of weeks go by. I was uh, in line at the airport getting ready to fly to LA, uh, getting fly getting ready to fly to New York to film um, a cooking show with Bobby Flay. I get a call and they confirm that it is cancer. It's another type of lymphoma. Oh my and God. It's, um, yeah. So it's, um, it's called mycosis fungoides, which is um, a lymphoma that behaves very much like uh, psoriasis, you know? Um, so <laughs> here I am getting ready to film another television show and being told that I have two cancers, you know, um, like what else can go wrong? Right. Crazy. Yeah. Um, That's a dangerous yes. question to ask the universe. Mm. <laughs> Oh you know, God. it's like, like, why me? And like, what? Like, you know, at the end of the day, um, a lot of it was out of my control. Yeah. And um, I chose not to be sad. But at the same time, I had a lot of obligations in my life. You know, I had a lot of people that depended on me. Mm-hmm. I have we have 75 employees. We mm-hmm. have you know, three restaurants and, you know, there's, I I didn't have the luxury of just telling myself today, I'm going to stay home and feel sorry for myself, you know? So I just kept on pushing that push, you know, um, did the Bobby Flay show, did really well on the show and and won, you know, and then, um, you won without just having that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I won. Yeah. So it was a show called Bobby's triple threat. Um, so I'm the only chef on TV that has the distinction of beating Bobby Flay twice. Wow. But then I also beat him. I didn't beat him, but I, I beat three of his quote unquote Titans on Bobby's triple threat. I need to tell my little yeah, brother so, this because he was the fan. He was the one watching Bobby <laughs> Flay. I only knew about Bobby Flay because of my little brother because yeah, he was supposed so to be the I, chef. <laughs> yeah. I beat him on Iron Chef America, which is crazy to me because, you know, like um, as a young kid, that was like one of my favorite shows and this is like in high school. And, you know, I don't know if you remember watching the old G Iron Chef Japan where they dubbed over the voices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like really, really funny, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So like Fridays to me were like my parents getting take home. We sit around TV and watch that. But and then, you know, I ended up getting on that show, wow. finding my parents in there in the audience. Wow. Win or lose. Like, you know, like it was like. That's a win no matter like what. Dream come yeah. true. Exactly. And then actually winning the show and having my parents there was awesome. That's so cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was. um only chef with that distinction. Uh, but yeah, so now I have two cancers. And the biggest thing is that, you know, the doctors are like, okay, their biggest worry is my rashes has somehow mutated into this lump. If that was the case, it would be worst case scenario. My life expectancy would be very low. Mm. So that required additional testing, um, including surgical re- removal of uh, that lump. And after getting my biopsy on that lump, that lump literally disappeared. So somehow it triggered like this, this, um, and like this, this response in my body where my immune system fought it and like it literally just went away. Mm-hmm. So they had to go underneath that lump to do additional testing. Um, after the surgery, after the testing, it came back that these two different cancers were totally unrelated. So that was best case scenario. And um, so now, all I have to do is do light therapy. So I have this, I have this six foot vertical tanning bed at my house that opens up like a butterfly. Uh-huh. And I stand in it a couple times a week and I spin myself around like a rotisserie chicken. 
And, you know, the first time that I did it was August of last year, mid-August. After doing it for two minutes, all the rashes in my body went away within a couple of days. Wow. In in 15 years, I've never been without rashes. Wow. After two minutes of it, it went away. So, yeah. So, I was one of the very lucky few because I didn't have to go through chemo. I didn't have to go through radiation. Um, And, you know... These two cancers were extremely rare, and to have them together was even more rare. So against all odds, what are the odds you know, of that? Like I'm yeah, trying to math yeah. that. The math is not so, mathing. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, so like you know, like I, I posted this about I, I posted this on my birthday on the 27th of January mm-hmm. because like this whole past year, I really struggled um, as far as how I would tell people this because you know, like there's a sense of pride and a sense of ego. Um, the two things that I that I was most worried about was people treating me differently. Mm. You know, I hear horror stories where, you know, a lot of people would lose friends because of their diagnosis, because people just don't know how to react. They don't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, quite frankly, believe that, you know, like it could be contagious, <laughs> you know, like it's just, you know, like and like for whatever reason, it's OK. Like, I totally get it. You know, I didn't want that to happen. But more importantly, I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. but I, but I realized that if this could happen to me, it could happen to anybody. And I was smart enough to get it checked out. Yeah. So when I posted this, um, I, and I keep on reminding myself, I have to do a follow up post, but, you know, coming, being a male coming from a minority background, you know, I can honestly tell you if this lump occurred on my mom or my dad. They would have been like, eh, it's nothing. Oh, go away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's nothing. 100%. And um, at the end of the day, you are your best advocate. You know, um, if I had not gone to the doctor, being as close to my um, lymph nodes as this lump was, it could have spread through my body like that. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, if something's off, go get yourself checked out. You know, I, I know for, you know, like with men, we're less prone to get things checked out. Like, for example, like, you know, like women, you, you, like they encourage you in the shower, whatever it is to like, to, to, to check for lumps in your breast. Mm-hmm. For men, it's the same thing with your testicles. You know, mm-hmm. you, you want to like make sure there's no lumps, mm-hmm. you know? So a lot of us are just afraid to do that. And um, just being of a, you know, I, I think a lot of Asian people in general, too, we just have this mentality of things will be OK. Yeah. You know, like it's nothing. It's no big deal. Um, but it's really important that you um, that that if you do feel or see something that's off, get yourself checked out. Absolutely. Um, but you... yeah. So all of this comes back uh-huh. to what I love most and um, it's cooking. Um, but unfortunately, um, with the stress that comes with the business. Um, it's affected me adversely, but I'm really fortunate to have been able to overcome all this mm-hmm. and also to know what the triggers are and that stress. So when I catch myself in stressful moments, I try to get myself out of it. You know, I'm more mindful of it. Good yeah. for you. That was going to, yeah. I mean, so like you're, this, this was the, what you're talking about is the world that I, other path besides the entertainment world that I'm now in being like storyteller that's the other path that I was really passionate about. And I would have, like, I was planning to be an OBGYN, so I would have probably not been your dermatologist or your oncologist. But 
that's the world where I'm just fascinated by the human body. I'm so intrigued by like how everything works. And I've been very, very aware of the impacts of stress. And that merges with my other love of humanity and understanding the ways that stress on a daily basis, whether it's like really acute, which means intense and like, you know, a sudden spike of adrenaline and cortisol versus like subtle, but ongoing, prolonged, incessant, never ending, like never mindful of, never addressed stress, that stuff shows up in our bodies, right? And that shows up in, and it can be a a spiral because it can impact your sleep and suddenly your body's not resting. Sleep is so vital for our bodies to recover from the daily stressors of life. And if you're not sleeping well, you're not recovering well and your body's becoming weaker and weaker to like your immune system lowers. And then something that was small that your body could have fought off no big deal suddenly is like a big danger, you know, because your body is not equipped, is not strong enough to sustain a fight against it. And like, so I'm just imagining when I learned that freaking a also you posted that like the day I left Utah. So I was like, I'd seen you the day before of it. I like hugged you and I was like, thanks for a great event. Cause we did that. I've I've kept it a great secret. I was like, like, you, you seem fine this past year, but I'm like, I just hit it really well, you know, because I don't want people to feel bad for me. And, you know, life goes on. Yeah. Yes. And but like and (laughs) holy crap, though, like you got to like and that's 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 for each individual. I'm not going to should you. But like that was the path you chose. It is like but if you're like if, you know, there's a part of me as your friend that be like let us help. Like, how could, how could you keep yeah, that from us? Yeah, you know, cause not everybody yeah. would run away and not everybody would just yeah. like pity you. It's, it's a very delicate balance. So I respect everybody's yeah. way of, of I'm, well, I'm working yeah. on it. I'm, I'm, I'm like totally mother bird of like, why did you do that? Like, you should have told me. And then like, let me make up for it. Like, let me reverse, like retroactively, like yeah. smother you with care. And that's yeah. not welcome all the time. So <laughs> I need to work on that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, what I meant to say too, you know, um, part of being, you know, like I think in a lot of Asian families and like in our community, whether mm-hmm. you're Chinese, Vietnamese, Korean, um, whatever, I think culturally we tend to internalize a lot of things. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of tough love. We don't really, we're not the best communicators. You know, like, like when I think about growing up with my parents, you know, like we don't sit at the dinner table and talk about our feelings. We don't talk about like, you know, it's just kind of like uh, the TV's on and we would just talk about this and that. Oh, how's your grades? That's basically it. There's not a lot of communication that goes on. So, you know, um, I just think it's really important that we talk about these things, yeah. you know, and then like, it's not like a social taboo, you know, it's really important that, you know, that we help one another and, you know, and like I said, that there's, if, if, if there's something going on, go seek some help. Absolutely. Don't wait, you know, otherwise Absolutely. it's too late. Yeah. I want to acknowledge one thing that I'm learning. Um, well, actually, I don't think I've ever shared this with even a lot of my close friends don't know because I had forgotten about it, to be honest. Mm. Um, there's there's stuff that I have shared on this show about like my past as a teenager. I had a really very, very like dark five-year period of my life from the time I was 14 to 19. And it it was with like an older boyfriend that was really abusive. And it was it was a really tough time of my life. But you just reminded me um when I was nearing the end, which was the most dire, it's like when you're reaching the climax of the story, it's getting really, really bad. I actually had a lump too. Um, I had a lump in my neck that scared the shit out of me. And I was a college student and like, I completely forgot about that. But like those things, um, 
it, it was like right here. I just, I touch it. Cause like, I remember I would feel it all yeah, the time. It's and near it was, your lymph nodes as well. It was, yeah. So yeah. like I did end up getting it checked out, but like what I'll also acknowledge because going through that experience compiled with everything else that I was juggling in that time. And I was only 18 or 19 at the time. Um, I do think that people do want help and they want to ask for help, but they're also scared of the confirmation of things. I think because my deepest fear at the time is like, oh my God, I have cancer. Right. And on top of like, even then, like that wasn't even my worst worry because I was dealing with so much other stuff that was like at the time, mentally and emotionally, like messing with me on a deeper level, cancer would have been like, you know, the chair, but I was scared. And so I think I actually delayed checking, getting it checked because I didn't want confirmation of yet another bad thing. There's so much that goes into the human psyche and the way that we deal with things, whether that's like, I don't want to burden other people with my problems. I don't want to, but it's also that inner fear of like, I don't want to know for sure that this is. Yeah. It goes, it goes back to that saying, what you don't know can't hurt you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So just we're putting, I mean, I'm so thankful we're talking about this because we, because of the ways that we've been programmed for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different ways for better or worse, some of them have helped us survive. Right. And Mm -hmm. then some, and different scenarios, they can be our biggest detriment to like keep using the same tactic. It's not helping you. Right. Like you can't just barrel through everything. Somebody got to stop and be like, I need to go see a professional about this, whatever that is. And I just thank <laughs> yeah. you for sharing that story because yeah. hopefully this is, you know, an alert to all of us and a safe space. Like that's what I wanted to do with this yeah. podcast. Like tell stories that are true, that are honest and like show all the sides of us. Cause we are amazing and we're flawed and we have weaknesses. And like, that's what makes us human. Like we're imperfectly perfect. <laughs> exactly. That was the name of my friend's podcast. Um, this has been like such a great conversation. I'm so glad. Like, see, this is part of my intuition. I was like, I know, I know if we talk, it's going to be great. <laughs> and my intuition, she was right. Um, thank you for being on the show. I have three questions that I ask all my guests before we wrap. Sure. If you're ready. Um, ready. What are you, what are you grateful for today? You know, I'm grateful for my wife. Yeah. And, and, and like, I don't say that lightly. And like I said before, um, I, I've realized more every day, like how incredibly, um, balanced we are yin and yang. And I wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff without her. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful for all the people that actually show up to work every single day, Mm. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, great thing to be. And send her my love. She's she's wonderful. I'm glad I got to meet her. Um, what are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to some warm weather. You okay. Know, this, <laughs> this, this, this long, gloomy, like like season has just like it's taken a toll on me. You know, um, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm trying to find my way back to California. Okay. Uh, Part time. So Alexis is from Southern California. So we're we're looking to move somewhere in Redondo Beach area. Very cool. Live there part time and then live here part time. But yeah, I'm just I'm ready for some warm weather. And I've always been kind of like an an ocean kid, you know. And I want to. I'm looking forward to be close to the to the ocean and um, possibly raising our family there. Amazing. We will welcome you with open arms and like we'll yeah. hang out. Um, yeah. Awesome. And do you have any final thoughts, words, encouragement, anything, advice that you want to share with everyone tuning in today? 
Uh, yeah. Um, you know, just going back to your first question, gratitude. Gratitude is so powerful and it goes such a long ways. Um, you know, just, just being grateful and having that smile, um, whether you know it or not, it really makes people's days. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really it, you know? Yeah. And I think gratitude is what really helped me um, this past year. Just being thankful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm really thankful that you got yourself checked. What a freaking data point like what a what a moment in life to like to face and to overcome and like to be yeah. as positive I did not know I'm sorry I'm still just really because like that day that I found I was like excuse me it just is so stunning <laughs> oh because gosh. everybody look like if you see it like and you hear him he you were just exactly the same I don't know I'm sure yeah. I'm a pretty positive person myself but there would have been a good long moment where I'm just a total train wreck and like no one would have blamed you or me um, and it's just amazing, like how that genuine positivity, that gratitude that you have for life, yeah. like really just yeah, I mean, pervades like everything. Yeah. We have the power to make people feel bad or make people feel good. People feel good without even saying anything, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, I just, I just, I just, you know, it was, it was because of the fact that I just didn't know how to communicate it. But at the same time, like I said, I, I just, I had to continue and I had to push and, um, whether it takes me or not, I'm going to go down like full of gratitude and just be happy. You Amazing. Know? Amazing. Yeah. Well, great lesson to be, to be, to be enlightened with today. And yeah. And for anybody out there, if you have an issue, go get checked. Don't underestimate <laughs> the power of light therapy. That's wild that you didn't have to do chemo. I'm sorry. I'm like the scientist yeah. in me. It's like, yeah, I no radiation, no chemo, none That's of that insane. stuff. So oh my I was gosh. very, very lucky. Okay. Yeah. Well, the the good luck will continue. Bye, Theo. We we love you very much. Your your dog cat, Theo. And yeah. uh, thank you again, Viet. I, we'll definitely yeah. talk again and and hang out soon. Awesome. And thanks stay for warm. having me. I yeah. had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, this was great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All, Seizing the Day, Living Life to the Fullest with Chef Viet Pham. If you'd like to go follow along on his journey and check out his his life on the Instagrams. Go to at Chef Viet Fam. And uh, yeah, follow his story. It's amazing. Go eat his food too. I promise you. I don't recommend bad food. Let me just reiterate. I don't recommend bad food because it is a high priority, a high value thing in my life. And people in my life know I feed them well or I tell them where to go to eat well. So check out Pretty Bird. You'll be very happy. Be easy on the spice because it is spicy. Um, but thanks guys so much for tuning in this, for this episode to reiterate what Viet said, like go get checked, take care of yourselves. And, uh, if you're like me, like, you know, just go to Asia and get it all taken care of much cheaper. I'm just saying we need to talk to Congress. Anyway, um, it's been great. I love you guys. If you'd like to support the show, check out firstofallpod.com and check out the Patreon page. Thank you so much to my Patreon uh, crew i love you guys you guys help keep the microphone on and i appreciate you so much and if you'd like to email me have questions suggestions whatever first of all pod at gmail.com you can follow along on instagram at first of all pod my personal page is mgeezy thank you to marvin ua my audio engineer producer thank you to tom kim my producer and my social media manager 
Juliana Deer. I love you guys so much. You're wonderful. If you haven't checked it out yet, there is a YouTube channel. We have these conversations on video. If you like to see what Viet looks like and check out my eye bags, I don't know, whatever. And also see Viet's cat that, you know, made a little cameo during the conversation. You're welcome to. Please be kind. This is a work in progress. I'm just starting out. I... Yeah, I know I like I'm a filmmaker and all that stuff, but that's why you get cinematographers and people are good at that kind of stuff to do it. This is very rudimentary, I know. Please be kind. You're working on it. I'm working on it. I'm a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, it's a collective of Asian American podcasters and storytellers. Please go check other shows out. There's some really great stuff out there. So much love to all of you guys sharing your stories. And this week's intro, of course, was provided by Uzuhan, his song Uzu Trap. And the outro this week is Nina Sung, her very beautiful song called I'll Be There. With that, I bid you all an amazing week. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Be good to you. And I'll talk to you soon. I love you guys. Bye. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Ramen. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Ramen Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. <laughs> <laughs>